0: Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Slime Wars on our podcast, Gold Talks. This is Nirali and we are here to bring to you words of wisdom from the artist and spiritual teacher E.J. Gold. I think the best trade the Germans ever managed to extract from the grey aliens were the plans for the Autobahn and the Volkswagen. Frankly, if I were the aliens, I'd have kept back the VW and traded off the Edsel which the aliens did later manage to dump off on an antique automobile investment group in Detroit in exchange for a couple of hundred Ford Motor Plant workers who'd been retired on costly company-assisted disability anyway, some of them for several decades. Of course, that wasn't the first time old Henry Ford had dealt with the aliens. You can't possibly suppose that the concept of the moving assembly line had its origin in human thought or that the sudden abduction of 634 human residents of Dearborn, Michigan, at 200 hours in the morning of 16 October A.D. 1898 was sheer coincidence. And had the U.S. Navy's daily second-layer decryption codes not been given to the Soviets by yet another of J. Edgar Hoover's deep-cover turncoat moles, intended to build up the feds by building up the Soviet threat, the Soviet military might never have gone right to the brink of a preemptive strike based upon their clear intelligence advantage. They decoded millions of high-level messages with their codebreakers, without which us slime-mold operatives would have had to hand over them ourselves, except we wouldn't have because we knew better than to give the KGB a military intelligence advantage over the United States. At least not right then. The nuclear exchange never takes place in the Cold War time frame because that would be an illegal move. And then we'd have to throw the percentage dice three times or pay a 15 parsec penalty. Aliens never pay a penalty, they're not even players. Aliens are serious and aliens are everywhere. They were almost everywhere in the 40s and 50s, but after the big breakthrough of A.D. 1967, when they came through the interdimensional door undercover as indistinguishable commercial industrial drones into A.D. 20th century earth, and even though their day worker look has changed somewhat toward the down dressing side, they never stopped coming over, and now, as I said, they're everywhere. With the help of the U.S. government under Harry S. Truman, No middle name, just middle initial, hence the absence of a period after the S. The gray aliens built huge, virtually endless ceramic tile-lined, artificially heated underground experimental laboratories all over the United States, Mexico, and western Canada, supposedly to study the feasibility of cooperative trade, but actually to stage a long-planned invasion and enslavement scenario in which humans figured on much the same level as cattle only not as easy to raise or keep under control and therefore expendable beyond the calculated number of human cattle punchers necessary to raise cattle for the aliens who needed the enzymes and fast before their race died out altogether. I suppose you've already figured out that the aliens are suffering from inbreeding and that they need your gene pool too if they're to continue and with any luck, they won't. If me and my slime mold task force have our way and your utter and unquestioning cooperation, You and your whole miserable race will be long gone before those gray alien bastards can exploit you. The gray aliens were never stupid, and when they first arrived in America, they quickly realized that Americans were unique, very different from all other tribes they'd encountered except the Dogon, and that unlike the freedom they'd had in Germany under the Nazi regime, American public reaction was quick and ready to go to war, and... That would certainly prevent them from easily obtaining subjects. So in order to gain time, they persuaded the U.S. government, which they'd contacted, and with which they'd already made several trade and technical assistance agreements that had been secretly ratified in a special session of Congress, not to inform the public until long-term psychological studies could be made. So panic didn't result on the news of first contact of UFO activities in the media at large. And it was becoming impossible for the U.S. Air Force high brass, like my friend Lt. John Vandenberg and others, to continue to deny that contact with aliens had been made, not just once, but many times. It was becoming harder and harder for the U.S. Air Force and other less visible agencies and units to deny that frequent UFO crashes had occurred, both in desert and mountain areas in New Mexico, Colorado, California, and Arizona. Frequent because the early anti-gravity scoutcraft were inertial guidance and therefore inherently unstable in low-tech computer conditions, a situation long since remedied by us slime mold agents who made sure we gave them enough computer technology with which to hang themselves and anyone foolhardy enough to be an alien's playmate. It was, by your year, A.D. 1957, impossible to deny photographic evidence and direct contact information from unsmearable contactees that indeed gray aliens and possibly other taller and better-looking species from other worlds have, from time to time, been taken into custody and brought to a special study area which was completely secret until it was uncovered by a few sneaky civilian creeps who didn't know they were crapping around with things better left uncrapped. There they are, those smug aliens with their stainless steel medical equipment and their laser beams and enzyme extractors and secret U.S. government documents ceding mining rights to them in which they could hide their underground tunnels and breeding centers and indoctrination halls just a few hundred feet below the desert sands all over Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Texas, and of course their most notorious landing site of all at Grover's Mill, New Jersey which they've held since they hypnotized my friend and magic teacher Orson Wells into saying that it was all just a practical joke, time to coincide with your traditional American fright night, Halloween, on 31 October in your year A.D. 1938. By late A.D. 1957, were now many tens of thousands of alien documents and unimpeachable alien photos showing up everywhere, and that was the time my agency decided to bury itself, which means to go covert, realizing that it was only a matter of time before aliens penetrated our own ranks, if not with their own scrawny agents, then with MIBs, petrocelli-suited holographic creatures who walk through walls and do not do well tending cattle because they're unsmellable and can't rope a steer to save their lasers. The aliens quickly realized that the American media machine was largely uncontrolled except by a few powerful politicians and private interest groups unlike the picture that would have greeted them in a more comfortable totalitarian atmosphere like Nazi Germany, where you don't need the approval of a cantankerous Congress to ship a few million people off supposedly to some death camp in Eastern Europe, but actually to another dimension where they provide several years' worth of enzymes before the aliens have to come back for more, which they did in A.D. 1954-57, again in A.D. 1965-69, and yet again in A.D. 1987 when they came to stay. So now you know why there's all this sudden eruption of political and ethnic strife and horrible pandemics and unthinkably huge global natural disasters just around the corner in your horoscope. The aliens, as you'd expect, were backed into a corner by all the publicity and disinformation was the only card they were holding at the moment that they could safely play. Of course, us slime mold agents have subsequently seen to it that they have additional cards so they can really sink their own ship. So that's why the Gray Aliens bought the National Enquirer in the first place. And that's why the Enquirer's policy has always been to buy any alien story, with or without pictures, no matter how weird or far out it might seem to sane consideration, on the subject of alien encounters, close encounters, changelings, and abductions. The Enquirer was merely the first of many such purchases made by the Gray Aliens. They bought the Globe, the Star, Midnight, the Weekly News, and eventually every single one of the tabloids, bar none. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Gold Talks is produced by Nishit Gudger and sponsored by Jukebox Mind. Voice of EJ Gold, courtesy of GatewaysBooksandTapes.com For more information, visit IDHHB.com See you in the next episode. Until then, have a good one.